Limits. Trending chats on five nights. Thank you so much for choosing us as your companion on the radio Monday to Thursday between 7 and 10 p.m. And every Monday we unpack something called Trending Chats. As mentioned, for Trending Chats this evening, we're talking to some experts and taking a deep dive into the images of looting and unrest that we have seen over the, the weekend. And of course, today, and joining me now to chat about the psychological impacts of poverty and inequality and how that can lead to this kind of unrest is senior social worker and employee wellness expert, Sean. Good evening, Sean. How are you doing this evening? Good evening, Smash. I wish we were speaking under different circumstances, but I'm holding on. Uh, here's hoping your listeners are well as well. Ish. Mm. All right, um, mm. let's talk about um, the basic effects of poverty on one's mental health. What mm. are those? So um, there's an inextricable link between poverty itself and mental health problems. Um, so if we're speaking about psychological well-being, the second that one becomes poor, then automatically um, it's almost as though they will struggle with mental health issues. Why this is so is because, firstly, the perceptions of those that are in poverty are extremely negative. Uh, if you go on the mm. timeline now, uh, the comments that people are making about people looting, etc., uh, it shows you the negativity that's associated with poverty itself. And then there are also many mm. stereotypes that are thrown out into the air. They are said to lack warmth competence, sometimes even intelligence. Uh, and what that does is that it gives rise to social exclusion. The second that I'm socially excluded, and, and the second that there are negative perceptions against me because of my station in life, those negative perceptions ultimately impact how I look at myself. So automatically now there are low levels of confidence in my own ability to succeed. And this has so many other negative physical and psychological health consequences, um, along with, of course, reduced educational and sometimes even professional attainment. Stress levels are obviously high uh, in, in situations where somebody is not doing as well as they should be. And as we know, stress when untreated actually degenerates into depression. But it's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle in the sense that because I'm extremely poor, I have no access to mental health care experts. But at the same time, the second that I struggle with mental health, it also means that I might struggle to keep, hold down a job or to actually even get employed because I'm not in that right state of mind, so to speak. Hey, mm, 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 mm. Sean, you basically unpacking it like that. Just like it like it took me low a little bit but we got to keep this conversation going do you think inequality um plays a massive part in the things that you just mentioned you know because when we are thinking about those bearing the brunt of it in south africa mm. who are going unemployed who are poor, mm. there are no opportunities everything is just stacked up against them Yes. Do, do you think there's any hope in those people's lives or they think about that? And if if not, how do we go about playing a role in changing that and playing a positive and a hopeful role in those people's lives? Well, firstly, we need to acknowledge the fact that South Africa is actually recognized as one of the most unequal um, countries in the world. 
So if we're speaking about inequality, for me, we're speaking about systemic failures. Uh, our economic policies have not been fashioned in such a way that creates opportunities for those that need them the most. Um, and, and just to paint a picture, I, I don't mean to depress you and, and your listeners mm. a lot more, but I believe that statistics help quite a bit. Uh, we have the Southern African Labor Development Research Unit that's based at the University of um, Cape Town. And in 2019, uh, they released a study that actually says that 10% of South Africans uh, earn an income of 345 rand or less per month. Um, if you earn more than 1,149 rand per month, you earn more than half of the country. If you earn 7,313 rand or more, you are in the top 10% of South African earners. And if you earn more than 15,000, you're in the top 3% of South African earners. If you earn 48,000 and above, then you fall into the 1% of higher income earners. So the levels of inequality in this country are great, uh, inexplicable. A case in point is look at the separation between Santon and Alex. Uh, they're separated by a road, but the lived experiences of the two people that live in the two different sides of the road can never be the same. Uh, we're looking at a situation in which 55.5% of the South African population that's 30.3 million people live in poverty um, in this country. So inequality is there. Um, we speak about how people are looting. We speak about how people are destroying the economy, etc. But we do so. We pontificate from houses that have electricity, from probably some air-conditioned room, uh, watching a, a 42, 82-inch TV, and you're speaking about people that are living on less than 40 rand a day. So we need to, I think, put ourselves in, in check, uh, check our privilege, because there is privilege, and South Africa is a country of have and have nots. That's the primary problem that, that we face. So inequality is rife in this country. Uh, many, many reports have shown us that the, the levels of inequality are quite high. How do we help? It's systemic, like I said. So our policies need to be deliberate. They need to be fashioned towards creating jobs, not just jobs. I mean, quality jobs, because a lot of the times people say, well, there's been investment conferences where we've spoken about creating jobs, etc." Firstly, tell me where those jobs are, because none of us can see those jobs. And then tell mm. me how that investment conference helps who Mama Jamin, who sells tomatoes at the street corner, um, who now has to leave home because we're under level four or level five and has no other source of income. So we, we have a situation in which we've got those of us in the middle class that pontificate, that go on and on about how poor people don't do their best to get out of their situations. We forget that the system is rigged. Uh, in my opinion, it's rigged against those that are poor. And what is happening now, it's now becoming a, becoming a dog-eat-dog world where the have-nots are now de deliberately rather targeting the haves because they just can't take it anymore. How can poverty and inequality, and I think you touched on it though, but, you know, just briefly, mm. how can poverty and inequality impact on one who sees criminality and engaging in criminal behavior? You just touched on it now. Like, yeah. the have-nots are looking at the haves and like, mm. They have something I don't have. So mm. how, how can that impact and make a person make that decision to like, I'm going for it now? 
So again, we'll, we'll give a, a, a prime example that I hope will be relatable. Um, if somebody is sitting there with two children, unemployed, because we know the um, employment statistics now, so let's say it's a 30-year-old male, let's call him Thomas for argument's sake. Thomas, uh, maybe by chance went to varsity, but still, even the unemployment rate when it comes to people that have uh, college qualifications is also abnormally high in this country. And then there happens to be a situation where, because we live in a country that's uh, violent, and I know many of us don't want to acknowledge that, but that's the truth, uh, people then start looting. Thomas has two decisions to make. Stay where he is and continue to staff because he's unemployed, uh, and probably he's got a two- or three-year-old that's looking up to him and who needs to be fed and who hasn't had a proper meal in a week or two. And then shop right is open right next to him or whatever shop it is. People are looting. He's got two decisions to make. Does he join in or does he remain a good citizen? Um, I think if, if, if we look at it, if we were to place ourselves as, ooh, Thomas, we know what the answer is going to be. But this is not to say that criminality is okay. Um, we need to be careful about that. What happens is that mm. once things happen when we're in a group, mob psychology takes over. And what mob psychology does is that there's a loss of responsibility on the individual because we're doing th things in a group. So I'm no longer taking personal responsibility for my actions, uh, as well as the fact that because everybody seems to be doing it at this particular time, there's this impression of the universality of whatever illegal behavior we're engaging in. There's also anonymity in the sense that if we're in a group, nobody necessarily knows me. Um, and then, of course, there's weakened personal control, so I then end up um, engaging in the looting, even though on a normal day, given a different set of circumstances, I would make a different um, decision. But I do need to say that um, those that are in power and in authority need to understand that poverty breeds chaos. That's just how it is. Um, and, and when that poverty goes unchecked, when we don't put in place systems to ensure that we support those of us that are vulnerable, um, then this is what happens. We have a classist struggle even now because, like I said, when you compare the middle class, uh, it's, it's many of us who are tweeting, this is unacceptable, why are they doing this, why are they looting, etc. But again, we do that because we've got data, we've got access to Wi-Fi, uh, and we don't know the lived experiences of those particular individuals. Is it excusable? No. Is it criminal? Definitely. Uh, there's a criminal element. But also you can't run away from the desperation that many people face at a time like this. I was going to say the desperation is undeniable and it's there. Mm -hmm. And the plight that most South Africans, like you said, you just gave out the stats now. And when I say most, I take it back like well over 33% going through that mm -hmm. is, is something terrible. Now, mental health has rightfully gotten into the spotlight over the past year. What could we do to empower the poorer communities in particular to help people deal with their mental wellness? Because when we started, you touched on it. Mm. Is there work currently being done to empower poorer communities around mental health? Because we already mentioned that in terms of accessing mental health, whether you are middle class or upper middle class, it's also can be a stretch. Mm. Um, how do we deal with that or mental issues around those communities? 
a multiplicity of uh, factors come into play. Uh, I think that the most important is that we need to make mental health accessible. That's the first thing. Um, I know for a fact that a number of uh, non-profit organizations are doing their utmost best under the very difficult circumstances because funding is difficult to attain at a time like this. Uh, we're in a global pandemic, so a lot of traditional donors have pulled out, uh, have redirected their resources to uh, COVID-19 itself. So I think accessibility, we have a number of registered counselors, social workers, psychologists, etc., that I believe that if government had its priorities in place, should be placed uh, in basically every society or every community uh, and work on making sure that on a mental level, people develop psychological resilience, they have access to the best care that is there. But also, we cannot run away from the fact that for as long as the material conditions of people have not been improved, giving them access to health care or mental health care is not really solving the problem. So we need to ensure that, yes, they gain access, but also what are we doing about unemployment? What are we doing about inequality? What are we doing about poverty itself? Because like we stated earlier, those are also causal factors of a deterioration of a person's mental health. So if we then make sure that we come up with policies, we put in place programs, plans that deliberately create jobs, but also make it uh, possible for people to access mental um, health care. And we ensure that all the societies that we operate in, people are at the very least able to attain the basic services that they deserve as human beings. Uh, if we create a society in which people are able to follow their dreams and their passions and not have to worry about the basics of what they're going to eat in the next day, then we would have gone a long way in achieving that. Mm. Sean, thank you so much for your insight. Um, thank you so much for also unpacking this conversation so well because oftentimes when we see the looting and the unrest on TV, on social media, not a lot of us think about the psychological impacts of poverty and inequality. So to you listening, I implore you to take a moment and spare a thought of those who are going through the toughest time. And as you have seen, COVID-19 has affected many livelihoods. So the numbers are just going higher and higher in terms of um, inequality and the, the the poverty numbers and in terms of lack of access out here in our country. It's all on us to play a part and hold government accountable for having certain things and doing certain things that will empower the people thank you so much sean i appreciate your input like i said thank you as always stay safe nothing's off limits